Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. We have Mr. Joel Opostolin back as the as their our guest host. He is a originator and uh, and a resident uh, break dancer at Cameron Stevens <laughs> Mortgage Capital, and uh, and he's here to help us out with our uh, with uh, reviewing our guest. Our guest, how's it going? Happy to be here. Happy to be here. You uh, found some parking out in the East End. I know that it's not quite as busy as downtown Toronto. You, have you guys moved into your new office yet? We're not there yet. Not We're supposed to okay. move in uh, in at the end of May. Okay. The end of May, June. Yeah. With only, to it. But everyone's working at home though, right? We're doing a hybrid <laughs> model for now. <laughs> However that looks. The, the hybrid. Yeah. The hybrid Somewhere model. between one and three to five days a week. Nice, nice. But uh, <laughs> that's good. Well, you have some space to hire new guests and uh, I mean, hire new employees and uh, a person that can help you hire new people. Nice segue. Is nice segue. the sponsor of the show. Uh, the podcast is sponsored by BCGI Barron Consulting Group, an executive search firm dedicated to the real estate industry. Since 1995, Robert Barron and BCGI have completed over 1,000 searches on behalf of developers, investors, occupiers, and lenders across North America. Their scope includes acquisitions, development, asset management, finance, corporate real estate, and board directors. BCGI has established partnerships with pension funds, REITs, and fund managers searching for talent. They are a trusted source for career advice and guidance for real estate professionals in North America. BCGI can be reached at www.bcgi.ca. All right, Joel, we have a we have a guest, someone that you're very familiar with. I'm going to leave it to you to read this uh, beautiful bio. Beautiful bio that Alex uh, wrote himself, so it has not been <laughs> reviewed. We have not. Like uh, <laughs> we cannot substantiate any of this, but I, you know, for the sake of moving this forward, I'll, I'll read it. Alex has been uh, developing and constructing mixed-use, high-density communities for over 15 years and is responsible for building more than 6,000 units throughout various stages of development and construction. Alex plays a key role in the oversight of all design development, planning approvals, construction, and customer care at Bricks and Developments. At the onset of Bricks and Developments, Alex was responsible for bringing the construction management in-house. Prior to co-founding Bricks and Developments, Alex worked with some of the largest GTA developers, builders, and senior roles, including Center Court and Minto. Alex graduated from the Architectural Studies Program at George Brown, earned a project management degree at Ryerson. I didn't know that. Alex also obtained his certified engineer technologist credentials in 2013 and his project management professional credentials in 2015. This is the first time I've seen him without his partner, Andrew. <laughs> Please welcome to the show, Alex Durazio. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Happy yeah. to be here. So you like to go by Alex over Alexander? Alex is great. Yeah. Alex. Okay. Okay. I thought we were Alexander the Great. <laughs> I'm sure you haven't heard that like a million times. Yeah, but, maybe uh, once or twice. So, yeah. It's on his business card. Yeah. It's on yeah. his business card. Yeah. Yeah. I, was th I thought about getting a t-shirt that just said 6'6", six, six because people always <laughs> ask me how tall I am so often. I was just like... There you go. All right. So there it is. So it feels taller. It feels taller. <laughs> it's just because I'm getting so fat now. So it's just, wow. It's getting bigger. 
Yeah. All right, let's jump. Let's jump into it. You know, we got a good, good little overview of uh, of your career, but you know, let's uh, let take us take us back to the younger years. Uh, you know, were you always drawn to building architecture development, or were you, you know, or were there other directions you were thinking about going? Yeah, with your I mean, uh, you know, I went to school for architecture, thinking that uh, I wanted to be an architect, but uh, got a good glimpse into the real estate development role and uh, really just kind of ran into it. Uh, I started. Kind of while I was still working, or sorry, still going to school, I got a, uh, a job at a local contractor, and that's really where I met my partner, uh, Andrew Iacobelli. Wow. Uh, we, uh, you could say we first uh, fell in love at, uh, <laughs> at first sight there. Uh, but uh, we worked together uh, um, at uh, this contracting company. Uh, I had left to go work at Minto as a project manager. Uh, he had left to go work uh, for uh, a low-rise developer, Queensgate Homes. Uh, we always kept in touch, always wanted to do something together in the future. Uh, my career kind of went uh, from Minto and then over to Centre Court. Uh, was uh, really fortunate to be brought on to Centre Court at a very exciting time. Uh, they were really growing. Uh, they had uh, um, traditionally just outsourced their construction management uh, to third-party construction managers and uh, brought myself and another individual. Um, uh, well, actually, that individual was already there and brought me over uh, to really kind of start up that division. So a uh, really exciting opportunity and really kind of tapped into my entrepreneurial uh, characteristics or personality. And uh, we grew that uh, division uh, to something that uh, is really exciting to see them even excel even further today, uh, doing some great stuff. Um, during uh, uh, when I was at Center Court, Andrew and I uh, um, always uh, chatted and he brought an opportunity uh, to uh, start uh, Brixen together. Um, uh, and uh, we jumped at it. Uh, we saw an opportunity to uh, purchase a land up in Barrie uh, that ultimately became South District, and then the company just really grew from there. Interesting. Interesting. Joel? Obviously, strong uh, real estate background. Is there anything that you can pinpoint that, that led you to, to really get into it? I guess when you were younger, or how, did you always know you wanted to be in real estate? You know what? One thing that I love, there's so much that goes into real estate itself. You know, there's the acquisition side, there's the financing side, the approval side, the construction side. You really don't get that in very many other industries or areas in business. So the fact that it was so diverse that you could be doing one thing one day and something totally different another day was just so exciting uh, for me. Uh, and still today, you know, in our business, you know, we could be on a construction site, uh, you know, in the morning and then a sales and marketing uh, meeting in the afternoon. Uh, it's just so diverse on, on a day to day. So really, I find that just extremely exciting. It's awesome. So let's let, let maybe just take it back to, um, you know, you worked at two, you know, heavyweights in the development industry, Mento and Centercore. Anything that you could pinpoint kind of different than the way they, they operated or things that you took from each of those firms and say, yeah, you know, my new company, I want to do, do, do what they're doing there. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I, I learned, uh, you know, so much from, uh, from both companies. They're such great companies. And, uh, you know, when I was working at Minto, it was more of an in-construction role as a project manager. Uh, we built some really exciting projects and, you know, really learned uh, on an onsite really how to kind of problem solve, you know, build some relationships, work with, you know, different departments within the company to, you know, get these projects to fruition. 
got to meet a lot of great people, which was really exciting as well. Moving on to CenterCore, you really got to see, you know, how quickly a project can can really move through uh, approvals <laughs> and, and, and building. And it's uh, definitely something that we've took at Brixton uh, as well. And, you know, really learning to make, you know, quick decisions, really calculating, you know, or analyzing every option uh, in a project uh, to make the best decision and, and carry it forward, they, they really do well in, in, in that area. So, you know, for us at, at Brixton, we really kind of, you know, took that philosophy and, and applied it. And, you know, we've been able to, you know, build some really great projects and deliver them in, you know, record times. So you, uh, you spoke briefly about, I've been starting Brixton, but I guess what ultimately led to, um, the decision to, to, to go out on your own at that time? You know what? It's it's something that uh, Andrew and I have always wanted uh, to do is uh, start our own business and create something from scratch. And, you know, it was a really exciting time for us, uh, you know, nerve wracking as well, you know, being in the positions that we were in in our respective companies, uh, you know, to make a decision in that leap is uh, can be a bit nervous. You know, is it going to go right? Uh, but we knew that, you know, the opportunity uh, like this was never going to come again. And if we're going to do it, now's the time to do it. Uh, so we worked together to come up what we thought was a fantastic business plan. Uh, we really wanted to, you know, build a company that not only we can be proud for, but the people that we brought on would be proud for. Uh, and really a company uh, where, you know, the people within it come first. Uh, and then that would just kind of filter through to, you know, the work that we do in the field. Really be proud for the buildings we create. The people living in the buildings are, you know, proud to live in these buildings as well. Um, so we uh, started off with uh, our first project, South District, uh, which was uh, a really interesting market uh, to get into as our first project. Neither of us had built up and buried before, um, but uh, we, we saw a great opportunity in a municipality that really wanted this type of product and a lot of growth. Uh, so initially the uh, project was founded by uh, or acquired by the company he was working for, Queensgate Homes, uh, and they thought they had bought a townhome development site. And uh, they had went to the city and, and you know, said, you know, we're looking to build this townhome site. And the city planner turned around and said, no, we don't want a townhome site here. We, we want mid-rise. We want high-rise here. Uh, so they have never done high rise before. So that's when Andrew uh, called me and said, this is our opportunity. We found a project that's, you know, mid rise, a uh, perfect one for us to really kind of start our company there. And, uh, you know, we just moved so quickly. Uh, we uh, started our company. Uh, it was just him and I in a small little shared workspace office. Uh, we brought on a controller. We brought on a project coordinator and, you know, really just took the project uh, right through the site plan uh, approval process uh, very quickly. Uh, I think uh, six months actually went to market, uh, did really well in, in, in the market in our sales and broke ground like six months after a sales launch, uh, which was extremely happy and proud of that we were able to do it that quick, especially on our first project. Shortly thereafter, uh, we acquired another project in Oakville, the Bronte, uh, which uh, we're well underway with construction. Again, that was a project uh, that had zoning in place, really just needed to be taken through the site plan process. And uh, we uh, acquired it, uh, really expedited the site plan process, took it to the market in uh, the fall of 2020, 
and uh, started construction uh, in spring of 2021. So, you know, very shortly after the company's inception, we already had uh, two projects uh, already under construction. Uh, we were looking to acquire a third project uh, and, you know, construction was progressing well. Um, given my background at Center Court and Minto, we just felt very naturally to, uh, to bring construction in-house immediately. So even with South District, we had the construction management in-house. We brought on our site supers and project managers, et cetera. Something, you know, people would say is very ballsy to do on your first project <laughs> as, a, as a developer, uh, but we were just so confident uh, that we can execute and we felt that we would have more control uh, if we had construction management in-house. South District, from breaking ground to completion, we did it in 24 months. Uh, registered that building like a month after first occupancy wow. um, and really closed that building like months afterwards really quickly. We're extremely proud of that project. We feel that it's, you know, very unique, uh, something that Barry hasn't seen before. Traditionally, they see, you know, four story, six story wood frame buildings. We brought this, you know, urban uh, condo you would see in the GTA right right into Barry. Uh, poured in uh, uh, poured in place concrete building with a beautiful brick facade. It, it, it was nothing uh, uh, like uh, anyone's seen before. We were fortunate at that time to uh, acquire another property in Brampton. So we really had this kind of philosophy, okay, we have two construction teams uh, on the go right now. We need to keep them busy. So we started creating a pipeline and now we're fortunate where we have, you know, eight years uh, worth of pipeline for those, you know, construction teams to be busy. Nice. nice. Um, well, let, let, let me let me just interject yeah. for a second, because I know there's a lot of young people that are listening to this podcast that are probably have 10 years of experience and thinking to ourselves, thinking to themselves, hey, maybe I can do this. Let's get the two big questions. Upfront capital. How did you uh, where did that come from? And mm. to ha to get two projects under construction so quickly. How did you get that? How did you have the balance sheet for someone like a Cameron Stevens or, or others yeah. to to give you construction financing? So we were and, and maybe I'm kind of, you know, hopping back and forth here, but full transparency, the company that Andrew had worked for Queensgate Homes was actually his uncle. Okay. Okay. So maybe that's something we can add to the front of the podcast, maybe to, to better explain it. Um, but uh, they, they were involved in a uh, as a uh, co-development uh, deal. Queensgate at the times had, had really kind of slowed down. Uh, they were a really big low rise company uh, in the 90s and two, early 2000s um, and just recently finished their last project that they do actively. Uh, but the family still invests in a lot of real estate deals and still wants to obviously carry on the legacy that the, uh, the founder of Fausto Palumbo uh, had built and, and we're happy to, to include them. So uh, when they acquired uh, the property in Barrie, uh, they, they stayed on and they were, and we were fortunate uh, where they brought a lot of that capital uh, along with them and investors. We sourced out some other investors ourselves. Um, and traditionally we've always kept it to a very small group of investors, uh, just networks. And as we kind of grew our company, um, it's been a lot easier to raise money as you develop uh, a reputation. Uh, but for the first project, that's how it came to be, which was great for us, you know, especially starting a development company uh, and a construction management company. You're going to, you know, lenders, Terion, and you're saying, you know, 
we just started a development company and we want to build it in house. <laughs> they look at you and say, what, what are you doing? <laughs> so, uh, you know, we really had to prove ourselves, you know, show our resumes and really show that we know, we know what we're doing. And, uh, we had the full support of, of our investors and our co-development partners. And, uh, you know, after, uh, being able, uh, to execute on South District, you know, people shortly learned, okay, these guys know what they're doing. They know how to build, they know how to develop, they know how to take it to market. Um, and, you know, we're, we want to continue to invest in them. They start telling, you know, their network and, and they want to invest. Uh, and now, you know, we're very fortunate where, you know, it's a short pitch and, you know, a lot of our, our you know, investors who invested us with us and all our projects are saying we're in basically. As they say, you're only good as your last project. We don't take it for granted. Uh, we're very, full, uh, very transparent in our reporting, so our investors aren't, you know, questioning what's happening in the project. You know, they're not waiting four years to maybe see a return and not hearing from, you know, us. Where we very much inform them along the way of the project, which I think is important um, uh, for building trust. Um, and being able to, you know, invest in, in other projects uh, alongside with us. So, you know, I think for the first project, it was it was very important to build that, you know, reputation and really execute as, as perfectly as we could. It, it sounds odd to say it, but it really just kind of uh, became natural from there. Nice. Um, what have you found to be the biggest difference between working at, you know, some of these larger developers and, and having your own having your own business? I would say the um, the freedom to make decisions um, and, and make the decisions quickly. Um, I think we can all agree that, you know, in this business, you know, opportunities present themselves and you have to act quickly, especially when you have a, um, a construction division and you're building your own projects. You know, they're really looking for answers to questions. Uh, quickly to to not hold up schedule. Timmy, to break into uh, to South District Marcus, I think it's interesting because you guys were just starting and it was your first project and it was also your first time working in Barrie that was, you know, relatively new to mid-rise, high-rise construction. It wasn't a product that was out there. Um, So maybe just, you know, elaborate further on, you know, your experience um, entering a new market like that, even from a trade standpoint. Yeah. So, you know, traditionally I personally have always worked in Toronto and, uh, dealing with any kind of, you know, development applications or construction within Toronto. And I think a lot of Toronto developers, you know, always think when entering into another market, you know, we're going to act as if it is Toronto. And, you know, we think this is how it's done because that's how Toronto does things. And we quickly learned other municipalities don't like to hear that. (laughs) So um, uh, Barry was a phenomenal experience right from the get go. Uh, The uh, I would say just city staff working in Barry at the time uh, really wanted to work with a developer. I think they were excited to see this product and they really kind of saw from us that we really wanted to bring it to fruition. I'm sure they get a lot of applications where people are trying to rezone their land and flip it. Uh, and they saw from us that, you know, we really wanted to build this community here. So I think because of that, they worked, you know, with us uh, uh, along the application and really pushed it along. And they had a really good setup there where the planner 
was kind of the guy who made the decisions or the person that made decisions. You know, if there was an internal debate with, you know, other staffs in different departments, the planner would step in and, you know, make a decision or group them together, have a discussion, then get back to us. This is how we want you to proceed or this is, you know, how we suggest you proceed. So being able to have that ongoing communication really allowed us to excel our, our application within the city. And like I said, I mean, still to date, our quickest site plan uh, approval, something, you know, you don't see um, very often in a lot of these municipalities. So from the get-go, it was really good experience. Uh, launching into the market, just speaking a bit about the market, it was a very interesting market to get into. Um, Pre-construction condos, I don't know that were that popular in Barrie. Uh, so really kind of engaging the local uh, broker community to buy into this concept that we're going to be selling pre-construction condos, you know, to people who are going to be delivered a home in, you know, two years from now. There was definitely an education piece to it getting the brokers that we had relationships with in Toronto to come up to Barry. They looked at Barry as if it was, you know, this place, you know, four hours away, <laughs> who the hell is going to want to live, live up there. Um, but we really sold the, uh, the community and the area itself. And uh, we, we really do believe Barry has so much going for it. Um, you know, their waterfront is amazing. Uh, right near our site, we had the GO station. They have all these great local amenities, parks, uh, golf courses, etc. So we really believed in the community and really thought that it, it was going to sell well. As we were getting through our sales program, COVID had hit. We kind of all saw the market in, in, in March just kind of come to a halt and, and nothing was moving. It, it, was a, it was a very, you know, odd time. Uh, in that, you know, you really just didn't know what was going to happen. I don't think anyone could have told you, you know, what was going to happen in the future. And, you know, a month later in, in May, things just started to heat up. And we really saw people wanting to move out of the city as they were kind of sent home from work. And people were, you know, looking at this as potentially a long term, uh, long term in terms of working uh, from home. So people started gravitating to housing outside the city. And that's when we had our some of our best sales were in 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 May, shortly after when COVID wow. uh, just hit. <laughs> uh, you know, things where people were calling less crazy. People wanted Barry, uh, and it it was just really exciting to see that. You know, after trying to encourage people and educate them, you know, Barry is this great city you should really consider here. It took something like COVID for people to really jump at the opportunity. I can get more housing for a cheaper uh, price point. Um, you know, I got all these great amenities and I don't have to go into work. Why wouldn't I want to live in a bigger place close to parks, close to, you know, restaurants and shops, the waterfront. So it, it, it was really uh, it was it was great how it worked out. It's amazing. Let's, so maybe let's jump into the to the second project, the Bronte. Uh, Oakville is such an interesting market. I mean, the, the mayor there, uh, I remember 10 years ago used to brag about having low population growth and used to brag about not having a lot of development in his in his city. And and then things have really changed over the last five years. I know one of the biggest things people used to talk about was the Parkland dedication, how expensive it was. And, and then you started to see a lot of development happening in North, uh, North Oakville more than it had uh, in the past. Things went from, you know, 700 bucks a foot in... <laughs> 
2018, 2019 yeah. to 1100, 1200 last year, right? So tell us a little bit about that project. How did you make the numbers work? Uh, what, what, what was kind of, maybe the, I guess the, you mentioned briefly that it was, it was uh, almost fully approved, just had to go through <clears> the site, site plan approval process, but maybe walk us a little bit through that, that project and some of the challenges. Yeah. So, you know, like you said, Oakville is a, a great community. We acquired the site in 2020. We immediately bought into the area. It's right in uh, Palermo Village. And had you walked along uh, Old Bronte Road, uh, uh, you would have just saw a green field right along the the village there. So you really had to kind of look in the future and see what Palermo Village was going to become. And if you walk along that street right now, I think there's like eight cranes in the sky uh, <laughs> on either side of the road, all, all mid-rise types projects, but, you know, really exciting to see. You can kind of see, you know, this whole community is really going to come together and you're going to have this walkability uh, right right at your doorsteps of your home there. So I think it was really exciting. You had to really kind of look in the future and see what this community was going to be because, you know, stepping foot on on, on the property at that time in, uh, in, in, in 2020, uh, you, you would have thought that no way there's going to be a condo being built here. The the town of Oakville is, um, or just, you know, any kind of uh, development approvals in, in any two-tier system with, you know, a municipality and a region is difficult. Um, uh, it's challenging. You're, you know, addressing comments with a municipality, but then you're also addressing comments with the region, and sometimes they don't really speak together. <laughs> so... There's definitely challenges through there, but, you know, I will say that, you know, the planners and the staff that we had working uh, on the file in Oakville were really responsive. Uh, They were really um, uh, encouraging of the product that we want. Uh, We thought we pitched a great product uh, to them um, uh, from the onset and, you know, a couple changes or proposed changes we were easily able to, to accommodate. We just kind of ran from there. Um, the building department uh, in Oakville is really great to, to work with, uh, especially their their new CBO is is very practical and really kind of gets you know what we're trying to do here and, and really doesn't want to be a hurdle. He really wants to kind of help projects progress, uh, which makes it easier you know for us as well. Uh, the market was it was a good market there. Uh, we ended up uh, doing extremely well on sales. Um, a lot better than than we initially had planned and started construction again like nine months later after after sales and that's kind of been our our whole process uh, with any of our projects you know we definitely want to get it to a sales program as quickly as possible traditionally we've been buying a lot of you know zoning in place type sites we're able to do that Um, but really you know setting everything up contracting you know developing the working drawings so we can get in the ground as quickly basically sell and contract and build in the same market has always been our kind of philosophy Uh, we have any uh any retail there we have uh yeah so the building itself is an eight-story building 129 units with about 2500 square feet of retail um, the city really wanted to create this kind of mixed use corridor along Old Bronte Road there. Uh, so a lot of all the buildings along Old Bronte have that mixed use component, which I think is beautiful. Like you really want that walkability, that, you know, small town community feel. Uh, it's more of a boutique building, uh, which, you know, we thought, you know, people really want to kind of live in in that type of community rather than, you know, really large building. And uh, yeah. 
Nice. Yeah. Cause always, it, you know, North Oakville, you know, I just think, you know, I think single family houses, you know, Dundas, massive street, you think, how is retail going to work? Right. And, and that area where, where a lot of these, there's just nowhere even for people to stop and park. Right. So it's all, I'm not sure there's a question there, but it's always just kind of interesting to see the type of greenfield condo developments that we're starting to see in North Oakville and, and, and North Burlington and how, um, you know, I walked, uh, Tarek's, uh, Tarek Addy's site and, uh, and he had, you know, they required them to put a lot of retail in. Right. And I was kind of thinking to myself, this seems like a lot of retail for <laughs> a project on Dundas, right? So, did you have were you, were you initially thinking more or less retail, or how did you how did, how did uh, those discussions we, go? Yeah, we we you know what we thought it was the appropriate amount of retail, and you know Oakville is uh, you know very adamant in terms of you know the commercial and visitor parking uh, for any of their homes. They they have you know what we believe to be a, a very high. A uh, requirement for commercial and uh, and visitor parking, uh, which is good, which is what a commercial tenant uh, really wants to see. I mean, you know, some of the challenges they have is, you know, where are my my customers going to be parking? So yeah. being able to create that uh, within the commu- uh, within the building, it, it, it is important. Uh, no, we thought it was, it was it was an appropriate amount of commercial. We had it only fronting Old Bronte, where we seem uh, where we believe is going to be the most pedestrian traffic. Um, so being able to kind of showcase that really kind of livens up the the, the neighborhood. Um, so I, I I would say it was appropriate amount on yeah. that community. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Um, so you guys, I mean, you're about to launch your fourth project. All four projects being in different cities and different communities um, within the GTA and obviously Barry. Um, is that is that by design? I know that you- <clears throat> um, I would say uh, we definitely, you know, wherever we see an opportunity, we'll go. So we won't tur- turn down really any municipality, uh, but we do believe in, you know, these uh, peripheral uh, markets uh, or municipalities just outside of downtown Toronto. Um, a lot of these cities really haven't seen a lot of this type of growth. And really, it's being able to provide, you know, this type of product to a community uh, where now the homes are becoming unaffordable and people don't have any other options that they want to see stay in, you know, the community that they grew up in and they can't afford a house. There really wasn't an option of a new condo uh, to really have that opportunity here. So it's less less NIMBYs, less fight against these projects. Yeah, I I I mean I'm 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 sure there's you know like any other community who hasn't seen you know a condo in their backyard is probably not not ecstatic about it, but <laughs> uh, uh, but I would say definitely less. Um, and also to a lot of the communities that we've been building, uh, you know already had zoning in place. So really we're coming in there, we're making changes, we're making, you know, what we think to be the most efficient design and building, uh, and really just kind of carrying it through the site plan process um, with the as of right uh, zoning. So we haven't had a lot of pushback uh, from a community. Uh, and also too, we really try to engage kind of the counselor, you know, how how can, you know, we give back to the community, whether it's, you know, sponsorships or, or donations to local charities, you know, uh, throwing community events, getting them involved. Uh, so they see, you know, we're, we're a developer, but we're also a community builder and we're, you know, we want to be a neighbor that you can talk to, that you can pick up the phone, you can call Andrew or I, uh, we can have a conversation about what we're doing, why we're doing it and, you know, take any suggestions and see if there's some middle ground here. So, you know, we, we definitely want to work with our neighbors in the community versus work against them. 
Nice, nice. Well, you know, I'm a I'm a market guy, and I do market studies, and uh, and uh, Duo was a project that I I did a little bit of work on. Maybe you didn't even know, but I did. <laughs> um, just alone. I just yeah. worked on it by myself. <laughs> and uh, you know, one thing is interesting about like uh, like I mentioned the price growth that experience that that happened in in Oakville, but. Brampton was probably even more to the extreme, right? Most yeah. of what was being built in, in in Brampton was that same, you know, four four story wood frame condominiums, and there really hasn't been hadn't been much high rise development of any kind. So you're basically going from stuff that was 500, 600 bucks a foot, you know, and then maybe $700, you know, uh, mid rise concrete buildings to a 25 story high rise, right? And a lot of a lot of a lot of price growth there. How are you feeling about the market? Is there any worry that you know there'll be closing risk at at this project or any of your projects in in the future? Are, are you any is there any nights where you just say, "Oh man, I am a little bit worried," all right, yeah, <laughs> about the market? So I I, I would say our project uh, that's closest uh, to uh, closing is is the Bronte, and uh, maybe this is naive of me, but no, I I really don't uh, lose sleep over closing. Uh, we sold that community uh, in, in, in late 2020, and there, there's been a lot of price appreciation uh, within, within those, those units. Um, I, I don't think there's a purchaser there that wants to, to walk away uh, from uh, their deposits and from you know, the, the home that they just realized a lot of this appreciation on. Um, and also, too, I think the price point there relative to where you see elsewhere was pretty affordable. Um, it was not a crazy price point. There were, you know, I believe the average price point, uh, don't quote me, but it was about 600000 Uh So very, very manageable uh, for someone to get a mortgage, even in today's interest rates. Uh, so, you know, I, I would say Oakville, because there's been so much appreciation on the value of uh, the purchasers, uh, for the purchasers, uh, I, I really don't fear, uh, that a lot of them are thinking about walking away. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and for duo, uh, we still have, uh, you know, two years left, uh, almost, uh, for con- our construction program. Uh, you know, I, I think it's still early to kind of worry about any, uh, uh, you know, closing risk on, on that project. Interesting. Joel? Speaking about the um, just the different communities, obviously you have uh, you know experience building in Toronto. You did a lot of it with with Center Court. So, uh, is there an appetite to to return to that market and build in the market, or is that uh, yeah, is that- absolutely? Like uh, you know, like I said before, you know, if there's an opportunity, we'll go to it. Uh, we won't uh, turn away from any opportunities. We have looked at at communities within Toronto. You know, still not not so much downtown downtown Toronto. You know, some markets like. Etobicoke, North York, uh, areas like that. I, w- I would say for uh, Toronto, you know, there there is there is quite a bit of competition within Toronto. You know, it, it is a little bit more challenging, you know, to get approvals and and build uh, versus in these peripheral markets where you know you there's not a ton of competition, especially depending where you're building. There is an appetite for that type of growth. There is you know, a demand for this type of housing that they haven't seen before. Uh, And, you know, we do find, you know, getting approvals to be a little bit easier, um, a a little bit less pushback. Uh, So, you know, never say never, put it that way. (laughs) So, so let's, let's, you know, you just recently 
come out with a with a new uh, a new project. What were your internal you know discussions or um, you know about coming to market? Now, obviously, it's much softer conditions than we experienced in in twenty twenty two. There's been uh, a fair amount of projects that have come to market that have only sold 40 percent in the first uh, three or four months. What was the you know what was the talk about coming to market now, and 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 what is the, the kind of the early response been? Yeah, I, I, I would say, you know, it was a lot of debate in, in that decision of, you know, coming out to the market. Uh, you know, there hasn't been a lot of activity, but, you know, the activity that has happened, you know, if they're good projects and good locations uh, by reputable builders, they still seem to do well. We believe that our, our project is in a phenomenal location. Uh, you can't beat uh, the uh, Lakeview community. Uh, it's it's you know, uh, right at the uh, corner of Lakeshore and Dixie, uh, you got beautiful views of the lake, you got beautiful views uh, of the golf courses to the north. Uh, you're so well connected uh, to the Long Branch GO station uh, and in an already established area. So we felt that the project itself was an attractive project and even in a slower market was gonna uh, attract a lot of uh, potential buyers. Uh, and, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, coming into a market where there's not all that noise. Uh, you know, you never want to be the last one to a party, uh, sort of speak. So, you know, we found that we could really uh, demand or, or catch the, uh, the market's eyes, the co-broker's attention and have everyone really focusing on, on this project before you have, you know, the tsunami of these deferred project launches coming to the market. The early response has been phenomenal. Uh, we're just so happy with the uh, response of the co-brokers, with the response of uh, the general public. People are uh, very excited. Uh, we've had uh, a phenomenal turnout in uh, a lot of our uh, info sessions and our broker events that uh, we're you know, exceptionally uh, happy and, and extremely confident that we're going to do well and hit our targets when 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 we expect to, to hit them. <clears throat> it's an interesting time, obviously. Question over, you know, you've launched several projects in different varying stages of the market cycle. Um, this being obviously a, a very different market uh, right now. Um, do you guys follow the same process that you would normally do? I, you know, I think with, with, you know, every market there's comes different challenges and I think you have to adapt quickly. Uh, you know, when we were selling duo, things were going so quickly, uh, you know, really you didn't have to do much, but, you know, just ensure that you were, you know, contracting accordingly, you were doing, you know, appropriate price bumps, uh, to encourage people that, you know, the value of it was getting higher. Uh, so it, it was a lot easier in that market than, you know, call it today's market, where you have to be a little bit more strategic how you go out to launch. You have to, you know, develop and foster certain relationships. You have to really engage your brokers and sell them on the community and know that, you know, they're going to have to sell their potential clients. You have to give them the right assets, give them the time to, you know, promote the project. Uh, so I think it's a very different strategy depending on what market you're in. Um, and, you know, I think we've done a really good job of being able to adapt to every uh, different market. You know, w when we first launched for Barrie, it was, you know, a challenge to educate people on the city of Barrie, you know, how beautiful it is and, you know, what what's so unique about this uh, uh, about this community and, you know, that 
Barry was uh, or, or is, you know, uh, demands the highest, you know, one of the highest rental rates in, in all of Canada. Like these are important pieces that a lot of people just didn't know. So being able to educate them to attract them to Barry was very, very um, uh, important to us and part of that strategy and something that we had to adapt to versus if you're launching, you know, downtown Toronto, people are very familiar. The co-brokers are very familiar with downtown Toronto. You just really need to give them the assets and they go. Um, and, you know, in today's market, you know, we find that that, you know, co-brokers, there's a lot more touch points with their purchasers. They're having to sell them. They're having to sell them on the community, the area. Uh, they're not so quick to, to purchase, um, uh, which is a normal market. I mean, this is, I think we've been jaded a bit of what's been sure. happened, you know, the last two years where, you know, if you don't sell out in a weekend, it doesn't necessarily mean it's not a bad project. Uh, so uh, I, I think, you know, we're, I think for Exhale specifically, I think we got a lot of excitement, a lot of attention that, you know, we're going to do exceptionally well. We didn't target um, to uh, sell out in a weekend, uh, but we're exceeding our targets that we originally projected uh, uh, at the onset of our, of our kind of sales program there. Uh, so we couldn't be happier with the results right now. Nice, nice. I know that, um, you know, there's always, you know, people that dislike developers and that the project doesn't fit within the neighborhood or or they think that people in condos, you know, they, they're not as friendly. They don't don't talk to each other. So I, I, I pulled a quote here from uh, from Carmen Dragomir, who's uh, I understand is one of your designers. Yeah. And she said, we wanted to spark a conversation between residents by creating spaces that stimulate engagement. So what role do you think developers play in facilitating, you know, community within their building and the surrounding community. Do you think you have any role in trying to make the the, the project fit the overall community, or you just stick it there and, and you're good to go and you're out? <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, with Excel specifically, uh, you know, we we really engaged with the counselor and really, you know, had an open conversation with them as to you know what him and his community really wanted to see on, on this site. Um, you know, uh, right down to, you know, what type of brick did he want to see? What type, if any brick, what what type of, you know, kind of features, you know, did he think that the community would really gravitate towards? So there was a lot of conversation that happened um, and ongoing conversation as we, uh, you know, shared certain renderings with them. So I, I, I think we do have a duty to ensure that our communities fit within the existing neighborhood. And, you know, with Exhale, we have such beautiful uh, features uh, or buildings around us right across the street. We have this beautiful um, a community building, small arms uh, inspection building, uh, which has become a, a community center that they restored. Um, and they have, you know, series of events there from farmers markets to beer fest to artisan markets. And it's really all the programs there are run by the community. And, you know, there was a hope that we would, you know, take some of the building features of that of that historic building and implement it into our building. And I think we did a good job while still making it refreshing, refreshing a little bit modern. Uh, so the the exhale building's got a phenomenal brick facade uh, with a very intriguing arch right at the lobby entrance way. Um, and if you look at it on Lakeshore, it just looks like a historic building. Uh, but what's really cool about it is on the north side, it has some stepping, 
uh, that creates these large terraces overlooking the uh, the golf courses to the north there. So, you know, I, I, I'd say that we did a, a really great job designing the building and it's something that, you know, we know that the counselor in the community is, is happy to see this type of product there. Nice. 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 Um, as far as growth, obviously our, our, our podcast is sponsored by an executive search firm. <laughs> Are you guys looking to uh, aggressively expand? Obviously you've, you've, you've hammered out a few uh, projects already or what does like, what does Brixton look like in five, 10, 15 years? Yeah, we, we've, uh, you know, we've, we've definitely had some tremendous growth right on the onset of our company, you know, being able to, you know, to, uh, in, in a short amount of time, being able to, to be under construction uh, with two projects is, is quite, or actually three projects uh, has been, uh, you know, some, some really good growth. Uh, we want to grow responsibly. We don't want to bite off more than what we can chew. You know, a young business in, in any area, you really want to perfect certain processes and procedures um, uh, while still continuing to grow. So we really want to focus on ensuring that we're perfecting every aspect, as much as you can, every aspect of our business uh, before we grow too much. Um, in five years from now, we want to continue to build our pipeline uh, for, you know, more interesting and uh, and and denser buildings, denser products, and you know, generally the same communities that we have been building in. Uh, we definitely have ambitions to grow within the industry, uh, and you know, be up there with you know the top guys uh, of the industry. We want Brixton to be you know a household name. That's awesome. Um, let's let's get a little little political here. So. Counselor and mayoral candidate Josh Matlow says he's going to build 15,000 affordable units with $300 million that he is going to reallocate from the Gardner rebuild um, using a city-run developer to do so. And I think half of these are supposed to be affordable and the rest will be market with, uh, with rent control. Do you think this is, uh, this is fantasy or is this a realistic proposal? <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> what's the uh, what's the appropriate answer to that? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, just just curious, right? You know, just curious as your your if you think just just do you think a city run developer could ever be successful? You you know, uh, yeah. Um, I, I I would say partnerships with uh, developers. Um, you know, not so much specific to to that scenario, but just in general partnerships between cities and, you know, private developers, I think you see a lot more movement there. Um, you know, whether it's infrastructure on the road that needs to be um, uh, refurbished or um, or upgraded, you know, I, I think leveraging, you know, developers uh, who, you know, really want to see their sites progress, I think is more of an appropriate way. Uh, to get things moving and and done a lot quicker, yeah, I think that that's probably my answer. To that. Yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> it's funny because you know I've worked with a few developers that have been involved in the the housing now sites and yeah. and, and, and how difficult it has been for them to make the numbers work. Yeah. Uh, um, you're a construction guy, you, you you see what's happening with construction costs and and obviously interest rates and uh, product inflation, and uh, I mean rents obviously have gone up, but not to the same extent as as those things have have gone up and so it just i mean i find it a little bit amusing that they yeah. 
<laughs> they think it's a city run without partnering with a profit motivated developer who can who has is motivated to make things work versus you know a bureaucrat that might just say yeah. you know what is my motivation here to to get this thing uh, running on the right trail so maybe the question will be you know <laughs> well, put, is, put, it, it could, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, put it this way. You know, if uh, a city came to me uh, and said, uh, you know, in order to build the density that you want on a site, we need to upgrade uh, this, you know, sanitary line to accommodate the density you want to build there. I far more prefer that I build the sanitary on the road. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go through all the, the approvals with the city, ensure that the engineering drawings are there, but let me get my crews in there to build it. Because, you know, there's a sense of urgency there that I need to, you know, upgrade the sanitary in order to occupy my building. I think that's a lot more of an, um, uh, an effective uh, approach uh, rather than, you know, waiting for the city to perhaps to upgrade it and go through their process. Rather, if you put it into my court, I'm able to act a lot more quicker because, you know, there's, like you said, you know, we have to show a certain profit. You know, we're a, a for-profit company, a private company, and, you know, we're a lot more uh, ambitious and, you know, we want to things see things get done really quickly to obviously accommodate our plans. So, you know, I, I, I would say that's the approach that I would take if I was in the city shoes, partner up with a private developer, because I think, you know, a lot of, you know, developers in this city, you know, they know how to build, they know how to, you know, get things lifted pretty quickly. If you start partnering with them versus, you know, pushing against them, uh, I think that could be a lot more effective. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, I look at Regent Park and think that's the best, one of the best city building exercises we've ever done. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, the buildings could have been taller. That's the only question that I that I think. I mean, that seems to be the the model that works. But I'm not sure what the bit the, the biggest hurdle has been with the housing now sites and why a lot of, none of them are really in the ground yet. Uh, I mean, I guess the the higher affordability requirements and trying to decide what uh, ultimately those those numbers are in the future. But uh, well, yeah, you see, you see, like uh, certain applications out there where you know, or or you know, call it agreements where. You know, if you build a daycare within your community, we'll give you added density. Like to me, that's an appropriate uh, um, a deal uh, that's, you know, advantageous for both groups. The city obviously gets this brand new daycare and, you know, the developer can afford to build it by getting the added density there. Yeah. I think that's a fair trade. And I think, you know, we should be encouraging more agreements like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. I think there should be every library, every subway station, every police station, every fire station uh, in the in the city. Every new school should uh, have a condo on top or, yeah, exactly. or, or rental apartment, affordable housing, seniors housing, long term care. Right. I mean, I think you know, space is extremely limited anywhere in the GTA. Even you know, most of the inner suburbs, uh, the 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 are built out. Right. Uh, and so, so we need to use our space more efficiently and 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 use the expertise of people like you to to get these much needed uh, needed uh, things built I mean the, the the question I probably get all the time on Twitter from people who are not in the industry is why don't developers build large units and the number one thing I say is because people don't buy them <laughs> right and people say well, there's lots of demand yeah but there's difference between someone wanting someone and something being uh, I mean I have lots of demand for Ferraris yeah thirty thousand dollars I got really high demand for that but it's not what the producer is willing to sell it for, to me for right you know i think whenever i do my studies you know you'll see a lot of these projects 
what, what's left? What's left after two years of those projects being on, on the market? Two plus dens and three bedroom larger units, right? Yeah. They always wait until uh, till the, the project is over. And then even then they're often selling at a lower price per square foot, right? So yeah. if we could, you know, get to build more of these daycares and these subsidized daycares. That's a huge cost for, for families. And, uh, and if the city would just literally just subsidize those units, take off the development charges, take off the fees, do something to help the developer to get the, if they think that that's the type of housing that they want to have the, the private sector deliver that housing. So, uh, are there any of in, in the project, in the projects that you're working with, do they have any affordable, uh, components or any major, those types of requirements from the municipalities? Mm. No, none of the active projects that we're working on yeah. right now have any of those components uh, added to it. No, yeah. no. Have you have you guys ever considered purpose built rental? Yeah, we we've definitely looked at uh, a few deals um, that we thought would be more appropriate as a purpose built rental than as a for sale condo. Um, there's some projects that are in our pipeline that we're still considering uh, that is an opportunity. Um, just as you guys know, the economics on it are completely different. The financing on it is completely different. Um, I think right now it's it, it's a bit challenged to get through to that. Um, so I, I, I would say we like the idea of it. Um, you know, the idea of a purpose-built rental holdings, an asset like that, um, you know, built, we talked about building a balance sheet earlier, you know, we, we find it extremely uh, attractive and something that we definitely want to add into our portfolio. Uh, so we're not there yet, but we definitely would like to get there uh, in terms of, you know, a lot of our communities perhaps being considered and, and uh, purpose-built rental and actually going through and building them. One of my last questions I have here is the phrase I keep hearing a lot more recently is a thermal break. Can you tell us what that is? And uh, and in the second part of the question is, are you rethinking balconies? Yeah. Um, so in terms of a thermal break, it's thermally breaking any kind of transfer of kind of cold within into the building. Uh, so, you know, a big debate is thermally breaking balconies um, by like separating, you know, the balcony uh, from the rest of the building to um, just because of the issue of with energy loss through the through the balcony and, you know, cold transferring from the balcony within to the unit and you want the building to perform well. You know, I think just the trade off of foregoing a balcony in order to resolve this issue um, of I just don't see the trade off there. I think people much prefer an outdoor living space than no balcony at all. Uh, if that makes sense. And so what's the, what's the solution? Are you literally just going to start screwing these balconies onto the, yes, onto sir. the building? They have certain products out there that basically creating a separation between the balcony and the building structure, uh, to avoid any kind of cold bridging. If you ever notice when you're walking, you know, perhaps around barefooted around your balcony on a cold day, the, the floor will feel cold. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's ultimately thermal bridging. So, you know, in creating a separation uh, between the balcony and the uh, and the building structure eliminates that. And we use that like throughout the entire, that methodology of thermally breaking certain aspects, whether it's, you know, a metal canopy going through uh, your lobby to outside, you know, we'll have not a continuous HSS, we'll have it mechanically fastened to each other so that there's a you know physical break in there. It's not continuous. 
um, in order to stop that thermal bridging from getting into the to the building. It's fat. It's just fat. I mean, the construction process is the most fascinating part of it. You know, the people who you know tend to blame developers for what what the city looks like and and uh, and uh, say they make too much money. And I just think of the 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 huge amount of complications that it involved in taking you know digging a four-story hole in the ground and and four years later we got a 35-story tower right with uh with 750 people living in it right it's just unbelievable amount of technical knowledge and 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 know-how and and ultimately risk involved in and putting something like that together so yeah absolutely and you know what we've like that's something that is really part of our passion is the construction of these buildings. You know, we pride ourselves in, you know, working with our consultants. So we're developing efficient buildings, uh, efficient designs for buildings and, you know, really working with our teams, we've been able to bring on really great teams uh, to, you know, build quality buildings here. Um, and, you know, certain codes come into place and certain regulations that further challenges us and we're having to adapt and still, you know, bring these buildings to, to fruition, into life. Um, it, it can be extremely challenging. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, construction isn't for, for everybody. Um, uh, it's such a big part of our industry. Um, and you really got to be the right person to, to kind of stomach through it sometimes. Well, so, so do you have any questions before we jump into the, uh, we have one last section called the, uh, the rapid fire. Anything, any, any last, last questions, let's just, Joel? Let's just take a minute to inhale. <laughs> and exhale. And exhale. <laughs> I love the plug, Joel. I love it. <laughs> Rapid fire time. Let's go. Yeah. All right. Perfect. So uh, I know that you've you're, you, you've listened to the show, and I appreciate that. And so at the end, we uh, usually just fire off a bunch of questions, just really quick answers. Don't have to get long winded. Just whatever comes to your mind at the time. So some of these are some of these are off the wall, not real estate related, but uh, we'll see. We'll we'll see where it works out. So want to go first? Favorite way to get around, walk, bike, and drive. Your favorite way to get around. Oh, <laughs> I would say I, I, I don't do enough of it, but I do like the concept of walk, but I, I definitely drive a lot more. <laughs> yeah, you've got, you've got sites in four different cities. <laughs> I was going to say, it's be pretty tough to walk from Vaughn to Oakville. <laughs> um, what do you think is the most used amenity in condo in new condo projects i'd say gym the gym okay yeah. yeah i think a gym is extremely important uh for for any community i think it's yeah. the most used yeah. donald trump guilty or not no comment <laughs> <laughs> okay you came out to one of our city builder basketball runs do you think you could guard me in the post <laughs> Definitely not in the post. Maybe maybe outside of the arc, but definitely not in the post. You're too big for that. <laughs> Rent replacement, good or bad policy? Can be good. Yeah, can be good. All right. Uh, is the resale price correction in the GTA over? Undetermined. Your go-to karaoke song? It's Amore. It's <laughs> classic. <laughs> Better city, Vancouver or Montreal? I'm going to say Vancouver. Oh. The uh, the mountains are gravitating. It's, it's a beautiful city. Definitely yeah. a beautiful city. Best social media platform for condo marketing. 
I'd say for us, we leverage the most Instagram for, Instagram. for a okay. market. Yeah. If I had to pick one platform. It definitely comes up on my feed a lot. You're the Excel marketing. We've been targeting <laughs> you, Ben. <Yeah. laughs> uh, all right. Last one. Um, is the next interest rate move up or down? I'm going to say pause, continue to pause. Continue to yeah. pause. Yeah. I think that's, that seems to be the, uh, the, uh, bank of Canada's, uh, movement now is non-movement just to see where inflation's at. So we, well, again, well, we appreciate you having, uh, having on being on the show and coming out to the East end here. Um, so if someone wants to, to get in touch with you, where do they go? Where, what's, what's, what's the, the deets for you? Yeah, if you want to get in touch with me, you can uh, email info at brickson.ca and uh, that goes directly to my uh, <laughs> inbox. So it'll probably be uh, me responding. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, that's a wrap. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Yeah.